Lizzie, I remember when I was 16. I've got a very good memory. Now, the reason I remember when I was 16 is because um, I'd just done some exams at school. I can't remember what those exams were. And during the, the summer weeks, before I was to go back to school and do some more exams, um, I decided I'd had enough of school. So at the age of 16, this is how the world is different in my day than it is in yours. I caught a bus, went down to Manchester, which is seven miles away from where I used to live, and just walked around Manchester. And I popped into three places and simply said, do you have a job? And the third place I walked into, they said, yes, can you start on Monday? And so I did. And then I worked there for six years before I went to the Salvation Army Training College. So that happened when I was 16. I just decided to leave school, didn't tell school or my parents, and just walked down into Manchester and uh, walked into the third place and got a job. And the third place I walked into was the largest bookshop in Manchester. Eventually became the Waterstones, part of WH Smith, but at that time it was an independently owned, very large bookshop. The, the, the uh, one floor was just the kind of floor you'd expect a bookshop to be with all kinds of books. But the other floor where I was asked to work was a specialist maps and guides department. And they asked me to work there. And for six years I worked with maps and guides and eventually became the departmental manager for, uh, for that floor. And so I developed a real love of maps and guides. And Dawn will tell you when we book even a holiday, the first thing that I always do is go and buy a map and a guide. I just love to read up. I love to find out where we're going. And I seem to have passed on my love of maps and so on, and certainly to one of my sons, uh, Tim. We always play a game sometimes, and it's uh, what is the capital city of? And we think of you know, obscure countries. You know, what's the capital city of Papua New Guinea? I know one or two Australians here will probably know that, but uh, some of us won't. Um, and when we go through Belgravia, we live near Belgravia, we walk through Belgravia, we see all the flags, we have a guessing game. Can we guess the country of the flag? I wonder if I was to ask you a question this morning, not what's the, where's a country or where's a city, but where heaven is. If I was to ask you this morning, where is heaven, I wonder what you'd tell me. We tend to point to heaven, don't we? We tend to think, well, that's heaven and, and there's hell. Um, even some of the songs we sing uh, tell us that, don't they? Do, Lord, or do, Lord, or do remember me way beyond the blue. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun way beyond the blue. And I see one of Howard Davis's songs has made it into our new Salvation Army songbook. Beyond the blue horizon there's another world I know where the born again shall go meets the Lord who loves them so. Beyond the blue horizon there's another world I know by the grace of God I shall be there. You know, so we escalated to heaven above the blue horizon. And it's nothing new. One of the older songs in our songbook, Robert Lowry writes uh, something different. He, he, he visualizes heaven somewhere different. He, he visualizes heavens by a river. Shall we gather the river where bright angel feet have trod with its crystal tide forever flowing by the throne of God? Yes, we'll gather at the river, the beautiful, beautiful river. And so we're all transported to heaven by this beautiful river where the saints have trod. <clears throat> but is that where heaven is? Is it beyond the blue horizon? Is it even a geographical location? And I'm asking this morning because I do want to talk a bit about heaven. Now please note I have no intention of taking you, this, you there this morning. 
But I do hope that at least when you talk about this message, you might at least say it was a heavenly experience. (laughs) Actually, I, I hope if nothing else that what we can agree about heaven is wherever that might be, whatever that might be, that that is where God is. And that is where some of our loved ones are. And that is a place that hopefully one day we will go to as well. Also, heaven is something and somewhere that we like, don't we? We always talk about heaven, you know, those pearly gates and, and all these wonderful things. And sometimes when we go to somewhere and it's a wonderful place, you know, we say, oh, this is a heavenly experience. So we, we know that heaven is a, a lovely place and one day when we do have to die, we've got heaven to look forward to. The new Salvation Army Ensemble has got a very helpful index, actually, and I noticed there's 106 songs in the heaven section. And there's many more songs, I guess, more than that, that have, have heaven within their lyrics. So we love singing about it, even before we get there. It's going to be a great place, isn't it? It's a, a lovely place, we, even if we're not quite sure where, where it is and what it is. But I do want to talk something about heaven. I do want to speak something more about heaven as well. You see, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prays that that God's kingdom might come so that the will of God might be revealed on earth in the same way that it manifests itself in heaven. And I want to especially focus upon that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. We tend to view heaven and earth as being far away from each other. I mean, it isn't the things we experience. I mean, if you're watching your favourite football team win at Wembley, oh, that's a heavenly experience. And certainly what we've just seen in Paris is is a hell of a place, isn't it, to be quite frank. And hell and, and heaven are often are extremes and certainly earth and heaven are often extremes as well in terms of how we speak and how we visualize them maybe even geographically we tend to see god as the kind of the governor in heaven who's controlling what things go on down here on earth and that's how generations of western christians have seen it and that is how we are trained to think and even been taught to think from even our sunday schools days even expressed in words But actually, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. We've often been trained to think that the Christmas story is about Jesus visiting us in order that a bit of heaven could be sprinkled on earth before Jesus is ascended back to his Father in heaven and before the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us for our loss. But that is also not what the early church believed, and it certainly isn't what the Bible teaches us. As we will soon be approaching the Advent season, it might be helpful then for us to rediscover what it is meant in that prayer on earth as it is in heaven and what the Gospels are actually telling us about the coming of Jesus. If Jesus is coming soon, what do they actually mean by that? And this morning I want us to start our exploration in the Old Testament. In fact, go back to Genesis, the beginnings of so many things, where we we read of Abraham who came out of Ur of the Chaldees or Mesopotamia, what would later become Persia, and he was brought to a land that God would give him, a land flowing full of 
milk and honey. And God said to Abraham, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This was God with his people, giving them a land, God's people in God's land. Possession is the big word there. God possessing a land, possessing his people, God with them as they traveled, and certainly as they traveled the 40 years through the wilderness. And as they traveled the 40 years through the wilderness, God gave them something else. He gave them a tabernacle. The word tabernacle, and you can see a a visual of the tabernacle on the screens here, the word tabernacle actually means tent. It was a tent and people worshipped around the tabernacle. But another meaning for tabernacle, it means place of dwelling. Here in the tabernacle is where God resides, particularly in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, and of course where the mercy seats resided. This is where people came to meet with God. And as the the children of Israel traveled around the world for 40 years, the tabernacle traveled with them like a porter tent, went around with them. And what that was was God's presence with them. This was God with them. And this was God saying to his people, I'm going to be with you even in your wilderness experience. God is saying, I'm going to tabernacle with you. That's what the word tabernacle means. It means dwell. Tabernacle, dwell, a dwelling place. And this is God dwelling with his people even as they went around the wilderness. Later, um, in the New Testament, actually, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, when speaking to the Sanhedrin, uh, talks about this experience. And he says this, The tabernacle remained in the land until the time of David to provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And then, about a thousand years uh, before Jesus came, King David did come and founded Jerusalem, and his son following him, Solomon, founded the temple and the temple took the place of the tabernacle and people you know the Jews used to travel to the temple in Jerusalem not to view it as a wonderful building but they went to the temple because that's where God was they went to visit God it was God's dwelling place so you see what's happening the Jews are are coming there God's people are coming to the temple to meet with God because this is where heaven and earth met and overlapped this is where heaven became part of earth and earth became part of heaven god's people in the old testament didn't view a god who was beyond the blue horizon they didn't view god was somewhere by a flowing river but rather in a place where they could come and worship and celebrate and have feasts and festivals and they could tabernacle with god they could be where god wanted to dwell with them And then around 500 years before Jesus came, when Jerusalem and its temple was raised to the ground by the Babylonians and exiled for 70 years, do you remember what the Jews did? There by the rivers of Babylon, there they wept as they looked back to Zion, to Jerusalem, and to the temple which now lay in ruins. And the reason that happened, it wasn't just that the temple was a ruin, it wasn't just the fact that they were homesick about a thousand miles away from home, it's because God was no longer with them. God had been taken away from them. Where God resided was now absent. They weren't homesick, they were spiritually uh, bereaved of their God. 
And so here is um, another picture now, a temple that, that's later Herod built, uh, which again eventually was um, what was taken down in AD 70, this time by the Romans. But you see, this was not only God's temple, but more than that. This is where God's presence could be found. The Lord's Prayer, of course, had not yet been spoken. But for these Jews, this was their earth on heaven experience. This was God with his people. And the Jews fervently believed that God was not beyond the blue horizon, but was actually tangibly with them. Another Old Testament um, experience of God being with his people, I think of Daniel chapter 3. You know, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. You know, we, we know the story again so well. And do you remember when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace? He saw not three, but four people there. And theologians have argued for years who that fourth person might be. It could have been Jesus, or maybe it could be a guardian angel. But the real point of that wonderful story is that God was with these three believers of God. They were upholding God before King Nebuchadnezzar. And God was with them in their need, in their experience. And God was tabernacling with them. And so we come to Jesus, and throughout the Old Testament we get signposts to the time when Jesus would come. And certainly in the immediate century or two before Jesus came, expectations began to rise that Jesus would come soon, that the promised Messiah would come, that God would come good with the promises that he had made to the prophets. The Jesus that they had thought about, they didn't of course know him by name, but the Messiah that they had prayed about, they'd hoped about, he would, he's on his way and God's going to send him soon. And then when Jesus comes, John, who of course was a Jew, was a Galilean fisherman, he writes this about the coming of Jesus. And we know these words, of course, well. We'll be reading them often, I guess, in our carol services. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a lovely verse, isn't it? A lovely description. But for the Jewish reader, this verse had even more significance. This is what the Jews, God's children, have been waiting for and praying for, the ultimate time when God would be will with his people. Did you notice the word tabernacle is in that verse? The word became flesh and tabernacled with us, is made, his, made his dwelling place among us. But this time, not as a, tab, a, a, not as a temple, not as a, a tent, but now this would be the word being made flesh. He would be one with us. This would be your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the real significance of this verse. And this is the real significance of the incarnation and of the Christ, Christmas message. But there's one final stage of the journey that I want to, to conclude with, which I think is a marvellous stage of the journey, and that is this. The tabernacle and the place of God where earth and heaven meet is still the place where God can be found, not in heaven. Or more accurately to say this way, that God is in his heaven, but heaven is not necessarily beyond the blue horizon. Heaven is in our tabernacle, our church this morning. God is in the church that we make at our bedside. God is there in that moment of our need, in our fiery furnace, in our wilderness experience. The God of heaven, as we sometimes look up and say our prayers, is actually 
not far away, but actually is one with us. Look at this verse in, in Peter this time, 1 Peter. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, you also are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be his holy priesthood. Can you see what's happening now? We are, we are now seen as a temple. There's another step to be taken that not only has God come from heaven to be in a temple and also come to be flesh one with us, but actually now God makes us into his holy temple. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are his people. Once we did not receive God's mercy, but now we have received his mercy, Peter continues. So you see, we as believers have that dwelling place within, within us. We are the dwelling place of God. We are, as we often sing, God's holy temple. We, we are the place, this is the place where God wants to dwell and be with his people. That bit of heaven that can come to earth can be as close as within our own lives and within our own hearts. Jesus is coming soon, but not just because Christmas is weeks away, but because he is being born again all the time, every time. As one of the carols, of course, tells us, he is born every day in the hearts of each one of us who believe in him. And when that happens, we have found heaven. When that happens, we can taste heaven. Even though we might dream one day of being in that uh, place beside the river, beyond the blue horizon, even though we, we, we know our loved ones are in heaven, wherever that is, we can have that sense of heaven now as well. Because the glorious truth is this, that God has become king and dwells among us. His kingdom is here with us now. And now when we make that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, we can pray it in a way that that has, has happened through Jesus and continues to happen when Jesus is born in the lives of believers. We know that God is fulfilling that prayer when heaven enters earth of our being. That is when heaven truly meets earth. And of course that is the glorious and often hidden truth behind one of Graham Kendrick's song, which is quite an old song now, we don't sing it too often, but he once wrote these words, The kingdom of God is here, heaven is in my heart. The presence of his majesty, heaven is in my heart. And his presence, joy abounds, heaven is in my heart. The light of holiness surrounds, heaven is in my heart. This repeated, and to make the, make the point that heaven is in our hearts. We read in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that, here's the word, so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So Christ may tabernacle with you. The tabernacle has shown up again because Christ wants to tabernacle with us. And that is the glorious truth of the Christian faith. And in that sense, Christ is coming soon. Christ has come and Christ will come. And he wants his dwelling place to be in heaven, in the heaven of our hearts. Christ is with us. Christ is in us. And as a result, we become his temple, his holy temple. 
and tabernacle. Amen.